Welcome to another Restoration Church Life podcast. This podcast exists, you should know this by now, guys, to inform and inspire the community of Restoration Church in the work of making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. And this episode is brought to you by Jesus, the Christ, the one who is good. Every good and every perfect gift is coming. It keeps coming down. Uh, day after day, and we see that in Christ as the blessings of his person and his work come down to us every day. This episode is brought to you by the good Jesus that was sent by the good Father. Okay, so speaking of good, I have somebody with me, uh, one Tessa Ambridge. Welcome, Tessa. Say hello to the, to the many listeners out there. Hi to the many listeners out there. <laughs> right. So Tessa... Uh, is here and we are going to talk about a family. We're not going to use their names in this episode for privacy purposes, but a family that our church by extension in Utessa in particular have taken the lead to care for. So we're going to be talking about that family that is from the country of Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. Okay. So some people might be thinking, Tessa, why are we a church, a gospel-believing church? Why would we care for people that are not Christians, that are in need? Why would we care for, especially a Muslim, you know, a Muslim family? They're not in Jesus. They're not even seem to be, at this point, interested in Jesus. Why would we even help them? So can you help us put some Bible on why we're doing what we're doing with helping this family. And then we'll get to the more specifics about how we're doing that. So give us some Bible, Tessa, and I'll hop in with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, maybe the, the question is more, why would we not yes. help, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's our, all over Scripture, you know, the character of our God is one who reaches out to those who are... Mm-hmm. Uh, even opposed to him, um, but definitely not um, part of his, you know, his people. Um, You know, so a verse, there are a few verses in Deuteronomy 10 where, you know, this is God revealing himself and his his heart and his nature um, to his people. And, you know, Deuteronomy 10, I guess starting in 17, starts. it starts by saying, For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality mm. and accepts no bribes. Mm. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and mm. loves the foreigner rising, residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Mm. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So it's as much about who God is and us reflecting what God is like to the world. It's also, this is also an extension of our own story, you know, that we were once alien to God and foreigners. And so how would we not extend the same grace to others who, you know, are different than us. That's right. So it's not like the Lord saw us and we chose to follow him and he's like, all right, now I'll give you the blood of my son, Mm -hmm. right? It was, he saw us while we were yet sinners and he did good to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we see that in particular in the, in the Lord commanding the Israelites to care for the sojourner. Um, And we also see this in other New Testament passages, right? We, we can think about Galatians 6.10, do good to everyone, 
comma, especially the church. So there's an emphasis, of course, on the church, sort of like the family. They should take care of their own family first, you know, make sure they're not suffering before they help others. But nevertheless, it says, do good to everyone. We can think about Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And of course, we can also think about that great parable of the good Samaritan. He didn't ask questions. Dude was bleeding and he stopped the bleeding, right? When the other dudes, you know, the priests and the Levites, they're supposed to be the holy guys. They just chill and walk out on by. And so in the same way, we see people that are suffering, that are in need. Um, we swoop in and show them the love of Christ. And we hope they will come to know Jesus, but that's not our first question. We just want to help them. Okay. So we've given them a little bit of Bible, Tessa. Let's do a little bit of history, shall we? I know that's your favorite. It is my favorite. I just use this as an excuse to bring it up. So Afghanistan, so we're serving this family from Afghanistan. How did they get here? Why are they in so much need? Well, uh, I just did this on the internet and I know the internet never gets it wrong, Tessa. Always right. I think this is good information though. Afghanistan has had four decades of displacement, 40 years. That's almost as old as I am, or it is, no, it's, yeah, I'm 46. So yeah, anyway, it's almost, you look at me, this is how long they have been suffering displacement. So it's one of the largest, most protracted displacements in the world. Over the last four decades, 6 million Afghanis have been forcibly displaced from homes. Three and a half of the, half million of them have been displaced inside of Afghanistan, and some two and a half million of them have been displaced to other countries, which leads us to this family that we're serving. In August of 2021, not that long ago, I'm sure you guys saw it on the news, there was a U.S. troop with, uh, withdrawal. The Taliban folks start moving in. They're a militant Muslim group. They come in, they swoop in, and some people in particular that were helpful to the United States government, they were able to get out as well as some others got out. But some 76,000 Afghanis uh, made their way to the United States of America. That brings us to this family. So first off, I'm going a little bit out of order here, Tessa. Why the, the father or the husband in this family, he had, and, and I think some others too, right? Had something to do with the United States. So tell us about that. Mm -hmm. What connection did they have? Yeah, so the family consists of an older man and his wife and then his two sons and the wife of one of the sons and their, um, their small baby son. Mm -hmm. um, so the, um, the father, the older father, was a member of, a senior member of the intelligence services in um, just basically the equivalent of the CIA in, okay. in yep. Afghanistan. And yep. so um, the other two sons were involved um, in similar positions, helping um, basically working to identify Taliban strongholds um, and you know, using that intelligence to basically fight the Taliban in different areas of Afghanistan. So, um, you know, obviously th they would be first on the list of targets yep. um, if they had stayed. Yeah. And so they were, did they leave? Did, did they leave in August or did they get here before August? Because they were one of the, they, were, they got out a little bit earlier than the rest of them, yes? Well, they, they, they left in August. Okay. Um, you know, they, they were given passwords um, to get through security and onto planes probably earlier than others, wow, okay. um, you know, to basically get them out. 
Um, <clears throat> they have an eldest daughter who is actually still in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, they're... Are they in contact with her? They are. Um, she's married to, um, you know, she's married and I think because she's not directly then related to, um, you know, the operations that I see. She's helped more the safe, Americans, you know, yeah. she, I don't think um, that she kind of qualified at that point. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. But she would like to leave. They, they would really yeah. like to sponsor her and the family, okay. um, her own um, she has a baby son who has significant heart issues oh, wow. and um, with mm. the humanitarian situation there now there's really no health care yeah. available for him so they're really mm. concerned okay so this family had some significant uh, played a significant role played a role in helping the United States and others there against the Taliban so they are able to get passwords and get on planes and they did they fly straight from there to here no, they went via Kuwait. Okay. I think they spent a week or two um, in Kuwait and then were eventually routed to Fort Dix in New Jersey. So that's where, I mean, many of the Afghan evacuees were, you know, routed to different American bases, not just in the U.S., but yeah. in Europe as well. Yeah. So. And they, did they live on that base? Where, where, where were they living in the bay, on the base? Like in a hangar or something? Or were they uh, in houses? I th I th well, I think that they, they kind of put up temporary housing okay. um, just as, as much as they yeah. were able to find space. And so yeah. the, um, the older, you know, so the, father, the older father and mother and then the youngest daughter, who's 19, they were actually able to be resettled. Um, to this area first and so the sons and their you know the daughter and the baby were kind of stuck on the base longer so um, at least for another two months okay mm -hmm. and uh, how did we remind me how did we get connected to this family I know our church we were this was happening we wanted to kind of do what Deuteronomy talks about how did we get connected to yeah them? our our initial um, point of contact was through um, an organization called um, the Immigrant and Refugee Outreach Center. Um, I think we initially had asked one of the resettlement agencies, which is Lutheran Social Services, mm -hmm. um, to, this was in August or September when all this was going down. Right. Um, you know, it's to, happening fast. As we are a group, yeah. you know, yeah. assign us. Yep. You know, and a lot of these agencies are so overwhelmed that yeah. even getting people, identifying people to help, you yeah. know, requires a level of time and organization that they didn't have. So uh, we got connected through, um, you know, a, a, a friend of a friend at church and who just gave, you know, we said, do you have someone for us? They said, yep, here's the information. Go ahead. Okay, so. good, good. Well, how are they doing now? Like, what's their, I mean, I'm sure it was very... I'm sure they were very frightened at, at, at one point, uh, a lot of fear. I'm sure that it was strange. So, you know, can you take us through kind of the emotional health of mm -hmm. them now? What are they, how, how are they? I think they've got a lot of emotions going on. Yeah. I mean, I know that they're really happy to be in the U.S. Um, there's a, a, a level of relief, um, you mm -hmm. know, at, at kind of being out of immediate danger. Mm -hmm. Um, of having the opportunities um, mm -hmm. here that there definitely would not have been for mm -hmm. them um, back home. And I know that they're relieved to be together, mm -hmm. you know, as a family. You know, there were many families that were separated in the evacuation. Oh, yeah. So yeah. 
Um, you know, so positive experiences, you know, I'm, I know that they're happy to kind of be earning money now. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they're, I think that they're probably frustrated with the jobs that they have because they're very menial and, you know, they're impatient in the sense of they want to they wanna just learn English and, you know, figure out a better way forward. Um, it's tough because they're learning, you know, there's a new, more or less a newborn and, you know, very, yep. very small baby in the house who's, you know, they're, they're learning about parenting, you know, for the first time. And, and a new place. New place. Um, and I know, you know, like I mentioned before, there's this eldest daughter still back in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they've been robbed at gunpoint by the Taliban. Um, mm. and the daughter has. The daughter and her family. Wow. Mm -hmm. So they had to move. Uh, oh, wow. So there's, I think there's a level of guilt yeah. on their part, you know, that, that you they know, left. here, you know, we, yeah. we've left her behind and, you know, yeah. we're, we're safe and she's not. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, just missing home. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because, yeah. right, totally different culture here, yes. not to mention, you know, they don't speak English, but I think one of them, one of the son does, right? Yeah, so the older son does. He's probably intermediate. He's been the main contact for us once he arrived here. We've been able to kind of, you know, work with him. But mm -hmm. the younger daughter also has, you know, it's maybe not as good, um, mm -hmm. a little more hesitant. But once you get her going, I mean, she's she's a good sport about it. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've gone over when it's been just her. You know, I've yeah. had just conversations with her. And, yeah. Um, we make it work. So okay. between them, you know, and the rest, they're, they're all kind of pursuing English learning and English yep. kind of opportunities. So, yep. Yep. Um, but they're and, on different levels. And where do they live? What city? They live in Riverdale, Maryland. Okay. So it's right by College Park, okay. um, yeah, yeah. Hyattsville. Yep. A lot of, a lot of refugees, immigrants. Who yeah. Is there any other, area. do they have any other Afghani friends around them? There are. Yeah. If you, if you go into the complex where they live, <laughs> It looks a little bit like, I mean, I've never been to Afghanistan, but I've been <laughs> to places that, yeah. you know, yeah. would be similar and you have folks hanging out outside yeah. and, yeah. you know, kids who are just roaming yeah. around and, yeah. you know, just you wouldn't see in a yeah. typical kind of American environment. So, you know, and they've, there are definitely Afghans who, um, the, a community there that they've been um, helped by. Um, well, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. At, least, at least they're not just planted around a bunch of, you know, Americans that speak English. They've got some other people from their country and yeah, yeah that speak Afghani and, and the like. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So, uh, we've talked a little bit about their, I mean, they, so they're learning English, right? Um, they're in a new culture. They've got a small baby. They still have a, uh, a family member that's uh, back in Afghanistan that's had her life threatened, dealing with some guilt, and, uh, and yet at the same time frustrated, I'm sure, taking these menial jobs. I mean, can you imagine working for the CIA and then now you're flipping burgers, right? That would be, I don't know that they're flipping burgers. But, they're they're yeah. um, packing produce and okay. screwing caps on yeah. bottles. There you go. So even, what a I'm shift. Not, I'm, I think uh, flipping burgers would be An a step up. Yeah. Wow. So it's really humbling. Wow. For them. I mean, just try to think about this—the dizzying effects of these things—and and it's Tessa. You and I were talking right before we press record here. That's even we're, we're working through the book of James, and James is writing to the dispersion, right? The twelve tribes of the dispersion, and so you know, while it's not the same thing, we we can imagine, right? This is such a common experience in humanity, though for us, it's we're very stable, 
Uh, it's such a hard thing that they have been through. Mm -hmm. uh, such a hard thing. Okay, so what were some of their initial needs that they needed that the church kind of came in? This, By the way, I always feel the need to say this. This is not an attempt to pat ourselves on the back. Uh, this is just a kind of, uh, you know, the Bible says to show honor to whom honor is due, right? Just reminds us the work of the church. We're doing the stuff that God wants us to do, kind of, from time to time. We repent when we don't. But so this is just an opportunity just to remind to show honor, to be encouraged in some of the ways in which we have cared for the sojourner. So Tessa, what were some of their initial needs and how did the church care for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, to, I mean, to give honor where honor is due, there's actually a group who was serving them even before we came on, um, who was involved with setting up their apartment, Good. like basic furnishing, yeah. you know, furnishing stuff like that. So. Good. Um, you know, they at least had that when we arrived, but they were so still... So they walked into an apartment that had stuff in it. Um, I don't know what it looked like when they first came, yeah. but when we got there, there was a place for us to sit and they had beds and... Okay. But there were a lot of other things that they didn't have. Okay. Um, so, you know, our, our, kind of, our role coming in first was making sure that they had clothes that were warm enough mm -hmm. for the coming winter. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, warmer clothes, shoes, coats, um, but kind of also things that they would need around the kitchen, around the house. Um, and, you know, then, you know, thinking about what's most, what were kind of strategic needs that would help them get started quicker, you know, and then, so we were thinking about, okay, phones, mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. can do a lot from their phones. Yep. So actually this other group had provided to computer related devices for nice. them. So they had those, Okay. Um, but they only had one cell phone, like okay. amongst all of them. Wow. So that was a really clear need um, mm -hmm. as well as mm -hmm. internet, reliable internet access. Yeah. Um, and so um, that was kind of the initial stage of how okay. you know, we were able to help. Which is kind of the equivalent of what we read there in Luke 10, the Good Samaritan, dude's bleeding on the side of the road. Let's stop the bleeding. Let's get him into a place where he can right, be healed up, and that's sort of that work that kind of got them there. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, it's fresh on my mind. If you're looking for a book to kind of think about this kind of care, When Helping Hurts is a good book, I think a faithful book, that talks about how helping without hurting. And uh, so anyway, it kind of gives you some categories if you're think, thinking about uh, this kind of care more. But nevertheless, kind of, all right, the bleeding has stopped, as it were, We've got them in a place, right? They've got some basic things down. They're in a community, they've got some jobs, menial though they are. So as we think now, Tessa, kind of moving forward, what are the kind of needs that they're, what's the kind of stuff we're thinking about now? And, uh, and talk a little bit about the importance, I know you're burdened by this, the importance of Christians not just stopping the bleeding but helping in the long term. So mm -hmm. kind of answer those two questions. What are their needs now and help us think a little more as Christians how we need to not just only stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, if you think about, I mean, there are a lot of things that we as people living here take for granted, yeah. you know, um, there were a lot of things we couldn't do because they still needed their social security numbers and yeah. their work authorization and um, a bank account. And so yeah. that was kind of the initial next step was, you know, working with their caseworker at Lutheran Social Services make sure they had those things in place so that then they could, they had their social security number so that they can access a bank account so that when they start working, they can, they have somewhere to put their money. Yeah. Um, and, you know, or making sure they understand um, how, how does, where do they go if they have a medical yeah. problem and issue? Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, so now the, the next step is kind of moving forward, getting some kind of semblance of a normal life where they can access resources that are there um, and start moving forward towards, I, I mean, I know they have plans and they have things that they want to do. And, you know, I know that they want to integrate and, and contribute. And um, I think this next phase is going to be harder for them because yeah. they still have to remain financially self-sufficient. You know, they get three months of rent um, okay, they do. covered by, you know, the resettlement program. Okay. Um, that's it. That's it. And, and is there any other monies coming to them from the government in any other way? They do, yes. Yeah. So they have, you know, food stamps. Okay. So their food is is taken care of. They have Medicaid. So, okay. um, so they have basic health care and they have some basic food. Mm -hmm. And they get free yeah. month free uh, rent for three months. Right, and then. Okay. Um, but that's not a long term plan. Right, right. and yeah, so that's... and and because the you know the resettlement agencies are supposed to also provide other services like. In, employment, kind of referrals and stuff like that. But um, a lot of things have been on the back burner just because there are so many other families that are coming oh, right. in. And so these the caseworkers yeah. are stretched. Yes. They're still trying to hire more people. Um, yep. Yep. So yep. Um, I think this is where, this is a great opportunity for us to continue to stay involved because, yeah. you know, if it means, you know, this is where it means working and taking classes, yeah. you know, in order to kind of move out of some of yeah. these jobs and into something yeah. bigger. Um, helping the daughter understand what opportunities there are for her for higher education, you know, um, that actually, you know, there are, there's financial aid out there, but I mean, the system is just so totally different. Yeah. and. You know, so people who are coming alongside them and explaining, and not only explaining, but maybe helping them access some of this stuff that they need in the next phase. Yeah, so they need some kind of orientation. We were talking at the members meeting a couple nights ago about, you know, just helping them navigate the bus system so they can get around. Yeah, right. To filling out, you know, all these forms to kind of help them navigate. This is what they mean by that question. These kinds of things so they can get into those resources and then kind of begin to kind of build a life. Yeah, I think the, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's good and right and important to, you know, the, the, uh, the dude bleeding on the side of the road to stop the bleeding. But also as Christians, we want to try to, insofar as we're able, you know, we're a small church, we can't do everything, but we can do something to try to stand alongside them past the bleeding, right, to kind of get them, their feet back under them. So for instance, Right? This is why, one of the reasons, if I could, Tessa, right, we planted a Spanish-speaking church, not just to give handouts to those in need of the Latinos in, in Columbia Heights. That's good, right? But we want to give a community of faith that can teach them the gospel and care for other material needs that can be sustainable and go on. Same thing with Christian legal aid, right? Not just sort of give some good handouts that they might need, but Christian legal aid help them walk through the system. In other words... Um, let's be there to stop the bleeding, but try to lean upon institutions and families and things to help them in the long term. Mm -hmm. And you're pressing on, you know, some of the needs are um, helping them navigate the bus system, help them fill out forms. Anything else that you can think of the, of needs they need kind of going forward? Yeah, you know, there are two things. I think one that I think that I already mentioned a little bit before was, you know, um, medical care um, mm -hmm. and you know we the father has some medical needs I think you mentioned yes he does yeah. he has diabetes okay. and uh, hypertension okay. I think. so you know he needs to be seen and 
um, you know, so establishing uh, a pattern of care where he's being observed and, um, you know, for when they came, the, the baby really only had an extremely minimal um, immunization status, you know, so you know, yeah. if you think about what's normal for babies to be yeah. immunized here upon birth, didn't have any of that, and so they were really concerned. So, um, but just going to um, the Kaiser facility with them and finding the office, and you know, what is a PCP? You're like, what does that even mean? I don't even you, know what that is. Primary <laughs> primary <laughs> care provider. There, thank you. All right, yeah. <laughs> I've seen it on my card. I just never know what it was. But anyway, yeah, I guess I have one of those. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad, glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, good. So helping yeah. them, helping them get established with that PCP. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Good. Um, you so know, basically, kind of walking with him to make sure that the medical intelligence and system kind of they feel confident that can kind of go on. Yeah. Kind of holding their hand through that process to give them confidence that it's in place. Right. Yeah. Right. And so they can, they're not getting bills that they don't yeah. understand. Yeah. Um, that, could that be something that like, they just have a phone number and they call? Or is it, obviously part of that, they need to go physically there. But is it something like they're reading something they can just call? Or is it, is yeah. it only the physical presence? Um, for finding out information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To help them with the medical part. Yeah, just, I mean, if you think about, I mean, how do you feel about calling an insurance company? Yeah. A medical insurance oh. company. <laughs> and then so imagine you had about like a half to oh. a third of the English that you yeah. have right now. You know, even even pressing the buttons on the phone tree, what's you know, to Afghani, get to where... What's the Afghani word for patience? <laughs> Depends on whether it's in Dari or Pashto. <laughs> uh, there we go. Whatever that word is. Whatever that is. You need a lot of that. Well, yeah. or even just courage to dial the phone number, yes. you know, and, and to... So you really kind of need to be there, like physically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I went there and there was like a health insurance issue... I, I put this phone. I put the phone on speaker, and I called them. You know, with them here. Mm -hmm. I don't know how how often they interact with other Americans over the phone. Yeah. You know, they're. Yeah. Um, it's just a whole different yeah. ball game here. Yeah. So, yeah, it's even things like that. Like if you have a problem, mm -hmm. here's here's what you can do. Yeah. You know. So medical care, kind of walking them through. Is there something else? You yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it too is just companionship. You know, yeah. these are these are people who you know don't know anyone. I mean, yeah, right. So there are some there are Afghans here, but even within the Afghan community, it can be fractured. Yeah. Um, there are different lines along ethnic lines. Yeah. Um, how liberal or conservative they are in mm -hmm. you know usually Muslim. Um, faith and so people to take them downtown mm. to DC and you know visit the monuments mm. and you know some kind of non day-to-day -day grind yeah. things that yeah. I think they would really enjoy mm. and you know kind of take them away and um, have they done that have they been like down to the mall I think I think well I saw so one of the sons his background photo on his whatsapp is like him in front of the Capitol building okay so I know he's, he's been. been there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that would be a highlight yeah. I mean there are a lot of things to go I'll sign up for that do. one for real I'm, I'm making it public you can okay. hold me accountable to that okay yeah 
That would be fun. Yeah. I, we used to do, you remember the American Friends thing we did years ago? Mm -hmm. I did that a couple times. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. It's fun for me and it's a good way to take what little historical knowledge I have to pass it on and use that as a way to yeah. build some relationships. Right. I mean, yeah. and it's about building relationships as well. Like, you know, that you're kind of, they're not just seeing you one time, yeah. but they're, you know, they're seeing you multiple times and, you know, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're still showing up right. and you know they yeah. can let their guard down a little bit more yeah. and you know and you can show your interest yep. in in what their life was like and they yep. can teach you and Good. you yep. know so yep. when I go they like to you know teach me a few words of Dari and you know yeah. I try and say thank you and you know yeah. so you're honoring them Good. Um, at the same time so if I guys listeners you just hear me say that I I'll take them down to the mall that doesn't mean that needs met so think of other things that you could help do and yeah. sustainably, uh, you know, maybe do if you're if you're able. Uh, but um, yeah, so yeah, try to think of other ways you can kind of just befriend them. Uh, okay, so um, final things we, we've. So Tessa, just last question. Um, we're gonna, yeah, last question. Why? I did. I didn't prepare you this for this question. So, but I'm hitting you with it. So I just want to say, you know, publicly, thank you for the ways that you're caring for this need. And uh, so thank you. You know, again, we said, Bible says to honor those to whom honors do honors do you. Thank you for the ways that you've shown the love of Christ for these people, and uh, just God's grace in your life. So share with the people. If let's say they never get involved with this family, encourage our folks to be involved with caring for the needs of others. So you mentioned Deuteronomy 10 at the beginning, but why is it you jump, this is not the first time you've done this in the life of our church, so why is it you <laughs> jump into these hard situations, you know, and try to help folks and inspire others? This podcast exists to inform and inspire. Yeah. So yeah. why do you do it? Yeah. I think it's easy to get self-involved and mm. it's easy to take to get caught up in your own world mm -hmm. and you know every once in a while you are struck by needs and obviously no one should even try to meet all of the needs right. that there are yep. in the world and I think there can be a lot of guilt around yep. that because you feel like you should always be right. doing more you know yes. um, and then that, that leads to paralysis and you just don't do anything yep. you know yep. um, you know, but I feel like, and you know, um, I was the I was reading a book where it's talking about how we are blessed to be a blessing. We're mm -hmm. not blessed to mm -hmm. hold this, yeah. hold on to this for ourselves. Yeah. Like, part you know, God's plan hinges around God's people being God's people in the world. Yeah. You know, so. Um, it's better to know. give than to receive. It's right. Yeah. God is a giver by nature. He is love. So he's always looking out, up and out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so the, the more, you know, there's almost this compulsion to, um, you know, the more that I understand what matters to God, like mm -hmm. if this matters a lot to God, mm -hmm. then this, this ought to matter to me. Amen. And, Amen. Um, you know, I got my i mean maybe it's partial to me because i got my start in esl teaching by mm. tutoring an, uh, an afghan woman and oh, wow. got to know, know her family and her kids and mm. we still talk mm. you know and that was a long time ago yeah. so um you know 
I think that we, I mean in DC in general, but there are people from so many different backgrounds and there are so many different opportunities uh, that, you know, just doing something yeah. is, it is, it just brings me a lot of joy yeah. <laughs> in a way that living for myself could never Amen. do. Amen. The good life is found in sacrificing for the good of others, which is defined most importantly in Christ. Uh, when we see his life being given on the cross mm -hmm. for our salvation. So in the same way, it's hard, it's not easy, just like the cross is not hard. But that's where the good life is found, in sacrificially giving to others, especially those in need. And guys, by the time you get this podcast, we'll be in the heart of James that's talking about this stuff. And so this should be arriving at a good time. So Tessa, thank you for modeling it for us and initiating this on behalf of our church. And so if you have any questions about this, listeners, make sure and follow up with Tessa. You can find her uh, there at church or you can reach out to her in some other capacity. If you don't know how to get a hold of her, let me know and I'll put you in touch with her. But uh, she's always there on Sunday, so you can find her there. But thank you, Tessa. And finally, uh, don't forget to pray for this family. You hear us uh, we've prayed for them publicly on Sundays pretty regularly in another uh, prayer in our prayer meetings. We've prayed for this family that I'm not going to name now, but you hear us pray for them. We want them to know Jesus, right? We don't want to make them comfortable in this world and then suffer forever in the next, right? We want them to know Christ and to believe the gospel. And so pray that they would, two things, that they would not only have their needs met and they would find a home here and learn English, uh, but also pray that they would come to know Christ. And so uh, we will continue to do that. And uh, Family of Restoration Church, thank you for the ways that you already have participated. And let's see how the Lord will continue to use us to serve this family. And so till next time, thanks again, Tessa. And uh, thanks to all of you again for the ways in which you're serving. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.